Welcome to Head, Heart, and Hands, the teaching fellowship of Bob Carter, pastor of River City Reformed Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. The Bible teaches that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. We want to help you do just that. First, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a call to our heads. God wants us to think and to think correctly. Second, the gospel is also a call to our hearts. We are to love God and to love what God loves. And the gospel is a call to our hands. To action, real change and transformation. Now let's join our teacher, Bob Carter, for today's challenging message. The sermon today is entitled, Thanksgiving for Abundance and Affliction. Thanksgiving for Abundance and Affliction. It is our custom very often in America at Thanksgiving or other times to talk about what great things you can recall from the previous year, what wonderful blessings came your way. And that is a very God-honoring, worthwhile thing to do. Rarely do we actually in there include a number of setbacks. Rarely do you hear Christians talking about various setbacks they had and how thankful they are, recognizing that they came from God's good hand, that God is shaping our souls. God is working in us a great work. But the Bible does indicate that God is causing all things. It teaches clearly that God is causing all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And this is not just a teaching of the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, but all through Scripture. And we see even from the earliest days in the book of Genesis, God devotes so much time with the account of the life of Joseph, with so much difficulty and affliction in there as God is laying the foundation for him to become king. And we remind ourselves that if there had been a better way for Joseph to be trained to be king than being a prisoner for 13 years, then that other way is how God would have done it. But God, knowing all things, trained Joseph for 13 years in slavery, in slander, in servitude, and in prison. And then, in the fullness of time, calls him forth to a wonderful, wonderful transformation. In a single day, he comes out, he gets a bath, he gets a new change of clothes, he gets a ring, he gets a necklace. He gets a position, he gets a chariot, he gets a house, he gets a wife. It represents the wedding feast of the Lamb, that in a single day, all of the difficulties that we've gone through will be easily forgotten as a mother giving birth to a healthy, beautiful baby and rejoicing in what has now come. Will you stand to honor the reading of God's word as we see this theme of God's faithfulness and of his providences all through scripture. We'll look at Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll also be looking at Psalm 107 this morning as well. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I remind you, first of all, Deuteronomy, of course, is named Deuteronomy because it's the second giving of the law. The Ten Commandments are found in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. The purpose of the book of Deuteronomy is Moses, before he dies, is giving a final series of sermons to the children of those who came out of Egypt. You recall. All of those over 20 died in the wilderness. 
But everyone under 20 was allowed to continue on and to go into the wilderness, and of course their children and even grandchildren in cases. And so many of these people now standing before Moses in the book of Deuteronomy did not come out of Egypt. And they did not see the ten plagues. And they didn't see the Red Sea open. And they didn't see Pharaoh drowned in front of their own eyes. But some of them did. And Moses is preaching a final series of sermons to them. A farewell, much like Second Peter is, saying, remember the ways of God. Remember the ways of God. Deuteronomy 8. All the commandments that I command in you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these forty years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you, just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with his fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day, 
It shall come about, if you ever forget the Lord your God, and go after other gods, and serve them, and worship them. I testify against you today, that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice of the Lord your God. You pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, how clearly we see ourselves in this passage. A people upon whom you have opened the windows and rained down blessings of every kind. Again and again in great abundance. And how often we ignore and neglect you. And in pride foolishly believe that we ourselves have produced these things. Our pleasures and worldly comforts have come by our hand. Rather than by your grace and mercy and favor and blessing. God teaches that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. God, we ask that you would give us ears to hear. That each of us would consider our own desperate condition. We come to you now as the great physician of our souls. That you would take the balm of this living and active word and apply it to the cancerous areas of our soul. That you would heal us, God. And that you would call forth your fruit and your glory in great abundance. God, we ask that you would help us In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you have read this passage before. There is a tendency when you read the Bible to neglect Deuteronomy. I'm not sure why that is. It is a beautiful book of sermons. It is is just the opportunity, literally the opportunity to sit down and say, Moses, if you could come and talk to me, what would you say to me? And Deuteronomy is that. It's a conversation between Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the people of God, of any age, at any time. And you can see, certainly as we read here in this passage, chapter 8, of how incredibly timely or timeless this passage is as we contemplate thanksgiving for abundance and for affliction. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, if you don't know this verse, memorize this verse before the sun goes down today. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God would have us to walk every day, every moment of every day in thanksgiving. Whatever is coming our way is by his hand. Nothing is coming our way that isn't by his hand. Nothing surprises him. And he could prevent anything that does happen to you if he chose to do so. And he is attentive. He that watches over Israel slumbers not nor sleeps. And he is good. Whatever makes its way to your life, to your sphere, to influence you in any manner, directly or indirectly, is prescribed by the great physician for your soul's benefit, and for the glory of the Creator-Redeemer. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God 
in Christ Jesus concerning you. In this passage, you can see that Israel is richly blessed and is in danger of forgetting. Now, they haven't actually gone in yet as he's preaching this in Deuteronomy. But in Psalm 107, they have. And they've been in for quite a while. And so you see those two passages put together, as well as Psalm 103, 104, that catalog of praise and thanksgiving there. But here they haven't actually realized it. They, they know something about it. They remember the spies' report and the good report that Joseph, excuse me, that uh, Joshua and Caleb brought back. But they haven't gone in themselves, but they know about it. And it all sounds really good, and, and Moses is making it really clear here that there's even things there you don't know about. There's things in the ground that you don't know about. There's iron and copper in those hills. And you're going to be able to do whatever you need to do to build and to enjoy. And they just really have no clue yet about how it's going to be exceedingly abundantly beyond what Moses is describing to them. And Moses is describing a wonderful time. But they are in danger of forgetting. But God reminds us again and again of where we have come from and what we are and what he is. If you have your Bible still open to Deuteronomy 8, look back at the previous chapter, Deuteronomy 7. And this is a passage you'll want to know very much. Deuteronomy 7, 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 and following. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples. He's talking to Israel. This is Moses preaching to the crowd. He didn't choose you because you're such a large crowd. They are a large crowd today. But they started with only one person. For you were the fewest of all peoples. You can't get fewer than one. He started with Abraham. You were only one person. But I blessed you, and I blessed you, and I blessed you, and today here you are, several million people standing in front of Moses. Verse 8. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. What is he doing here? He is doing, now he's at the end of his life, he's 120 years old and about to die. He is doing exactly what happened at the very beginning of the ministry of Moses as he is describing to hear what God has done, all the faithfulness of God. You remember he comes to the burning bush to see the great sight. He's a shepherd at the time. This is just beginning his last 40 years. Remember the first 40 years he was a prince in Egypt. Then for 40 years he's a shepherd. And then at the end of the 40 years he goes to see the burning bush and is called by God to be the leader in regard to the exodus. So he's at the burning bush, and while he's talking to the burning bush, God tells him, I have heard the cry of my people. What cry? There are slaves in Egypt. There are slaves in Egypt. And while there are slaves in Egypt, they're wondering if, they, if he hears them. During the time of difficulty, they're wondering if he hears them. And now here, they've been out for 40 years. They've been out of slavery for 40 years, and they're about to go in to the really good land, the promised land. And Moses is reminding him, reminding all of them, that this is the same God 
The same God who knew about you, who cared about you, and had made a promise to your forefathers before you became slaves, before the 40 years in the wilderness. He that watches over Israel slumbers not, nor sleeps. But he makes it clear to them that it had nothing to do with them. Look at it again. Know this passage, Deuteronomy 7, 7. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. That's the first Corinthians passage. Not many mighty, not many noble. That's what he's saying. Moses is announcing here. I mean no irreverence by this. Moses is announcing that he's Presbyterian. He understands that God is sovereign. God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You didn't catch his eye. He revealed himself to you. Verse 8. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And we see the reality here. That is exactly what God does. He is faithful in all that he does. And Moses reminds the people of that in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that we just read. And today the church needs to be reminded of that, that God himself is faithful. Whatever is happening to the church, God himself is sovereign over that. Where churches are being blessed, God is sovereign over that. Where churches are not growing, God is sovereign over that. And we want to draw near to God and do that which is pleasing in his sight, and yet understand his sovereignty over times of waxing and waning in the kingdom of God. And there had been, as we look back over the history the 2,000-year history back to Christ and the 3,500-year history back to Abraham and before, almost 4,000 years back to Abraham. As we look at that, we see that the kingdom of God has grown large and it has grown small and it has grown large and it has grown small. But God is faithful and he is bringing to pass what he wants to come to pass. And then each of us must ask ourselves about that. We must reflect upon Deuteronomy 7 about our unworthiness and the fact that God himself in mercy, grace, called us, and then about God's faithfulness in chapter 8, that we never allow the great prosperity and blessings that we experience to slip into our mind that we had something to do with it ourselves, that we brought it about, but rather it was by God's good hand, how good and mighty he is in this process. He even says in here, verse 17 of chapter 8, listen again, otherwise you may say in your heart, my power And the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth. God himself is the supplier of everything, including our ability to produce whatever it is that we look like we're producing. And we want to draw that, we want to embrace that and delight in that. Well, as we look at Deuteronomy 7 and 8, particularly the seven passages that I just read, what you see there is an abundance of grace. He says it had nothing to do with you. I did it. I brought you out. I, I saved you. When you were just one person, I made a promise to your father Abraham, and I've made you this great nation today. I've done this. I've done it for my glory, and you're the beneficiaries of it. And we see an abundance of grace. And at Thanksgiving, we want to recognize that as we think about it, an abundance of blessings, abundance of grace, is something we should be keenly aware of. But what about verses 9 and 10. In verses 9 and 10, 
back in chapter 7. Know therefore the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant. He is faithful. And his loving kindness to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore you shall keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. Well, if you have any sense of clarity and transparency about yourself, you recognize that verses 9 and 11 do not describe us. They describe Christ. He says, I'm doing this and I'm calling you to be faithful as well. I'm going to be faithful, he says, and I'm calling you to be faithful. But the New Testament and the New Covenant is all about the reality that we ourselves are not faithful. But Christ comes. There is one righteous. Yes, just one. There is one who loves God. There is one who seeks for God. Yes, just one. And so when we read a passage like this, we go back with Christian glasses, looking at Deuteronomy 7, we realize this is a challenge. He does call us to holiness, but we ourselves, in honesty, recognize our sin is mixed with all we do. And we recognize, oh, what a need we have of the Savior. What a need we have of the Savior. Listen to Jeremiah 23, 6. This is a beautiful verse. It's in the Bible in Jeremiah twice. He does it again in Jeremiah 33, 16, word for word. But in 23.6, he says this. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which you will be called the Lord our righteousness. As you read chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Deuteronomy, you see that God calls us to righteousness. But as you look transparently into your heart, and honestly, you see our great need of our great Savior. And God himself anticipating that from the beginning announces that through Jeremiah very vividly in chapter 23 and chapter 33. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Well, we saw this morning in the uh, prayer or the psalm in the back of the bulletin, Psalm 103, which is the most familiar psalm we think of when we think of Thanksgiving. We're pretty familiar with it. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. We have Thanksgiving in abundance as we think of the various ways in which God has rained down his blessings upon us. But Psalm 107 that we looked at this morning, and I urge you to turn now to that, Psalm 107. Psalm 107 is a psalm of thanksgiving, not so much of just general thanksgiving, the way we think of Psalm 103, but Psalm 107 is specifically abundance of God's faithfulness. We have an abundance, we have a harvest of God's faithfulness. It is in five sections, as I've mentioned to you before. The first section is verses 1 through 9, and it says that they wandered in the wilderness. And this is exactly where Deuteronomy picks up. They're coming to the end of this wilderness wandering, and they're about to go into the promised land, and Moses is preaching to them. That's the context. And now Psalm 107 says, verse 4, They wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. And we see that in the book of Numbers and other portions there leading up to this. They cried out to God. They were hungry. And he says in Deuteronomy 8, you were hungry. Moses says you were hungry that God himself did it. Listen to that. In Deuteronomy 8, we just read it. It said God himself gave you leanness. He gave you hunger to see what you would do in hunger. Would you trust him and love him as much in times of hunger as you do in times of feast? Would you recognize that food is only the means by which God sustains our body 
but he doesn't need food to sustain our body. Food is the ordinary means by which God sustains our body. He does not need food to sustain our body. He can simply sustain our body otherwise. And that's what he's saying there. The Lord Christ picks up on and quotes in the New Testament that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. But in the New Testament, we see Christ feeding the 5,000, and then again, a little later, the 4,000. And we see that he fulfills this passage beautifully here of supplying their needs. The second section is verses 10 through 16. We're still at Psalm 107. Verses 10 through 16, and here it says, they, There were those who dwelt in the darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains. And you certainly think of Joseph there. You think of the people of Israel themselves, slaves for hundreds of years in Egypt, and Joseph in particular for 13 years. We see them in great difficulty, but they cry out to the Lord, and the God himself blesses them. Verse 12 says, Therefore he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled, and there was none to help. But then they cried out to the Lord, and he saved them out of their distresses. So again, he puts them in difficulty, and he sees what they're like. Joseph rises to the top in every difficulty. And that really is astonishing, something we need to reflect upon. In every difficulty, he becomes the head of that situation, whether it's Potiphar's house or the prison, or whatever the circumstances are, because he is faithful in the situation. He is entrusting himself to God and doing that which he believes God has called him to do that day, believing that God is still faithful and attentive to him, knowing where he is and who he is. Christ is like that to us. Christ set Nicodemus free from the chains of misunderstanding. Nicodemus comes to him in John chapter 3 with great misunderstanding. There are things that Nicodemus must learn, and there are things that Nicodemus must unlearn. And some of the things he already knows are not true. Ronald Reagan said the problem with our liberal friends isn't the things that they know. It's just that so much of what they know just isn't so. And the Lord Christ says to Nicodemus, there are many things that you don't understand. But you should. But you don't. There are things you must unlearn and things you must learn. He sets him free from the chains of ignorance and of foolishness. And the Word of God does that for us today with the Holy Spirit as we come to God and cry out to Him that we might be delivered from any and every form of idolatry that we suffer from even today. Affliction here is brought by God in this case, in this second section, beginning in verse 10 and following. And in your bulletin, there is this beautiful quote from Richard Sips. Look at this. It is on the very back of the last page of your bulletin. Richard Sibbs, this is his book from A Bruised Reed, and he quotes uh, the verse, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out, till he has brought justice through to victory. A bruised reed he will not break. There might be difficulty, but he will not abandon us. Richard Sibbs says this, listen to this as you think about giving God thanks for the challenging circumstances, the afflictions of 2017. The bruising of God is required before conversion so that the Spirit may make way for himself into the heart by leveling all proud high thoughts and that we may understand ourselves to be what indeed we are by nature. And what he means by that is sinners and alienated from God, enemies of God. We love to wander from ourselves and to be strangers at home till God bruises us 
by one cross or other. And then we begin to think and come home to ourselves with the prodigal, like the prodigal son who realizes, wow, I'd be better off if I was one of my father's servants. It is a very hard thing to bring a dull and an evasive heart to cry with feeling for mercy. And that is the great difficulty of modern false conversions. Many, 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 many children have been brought supposedly to the Lord with no understanding of their sin. Listen to that verse again. It is a very hard thing to bring a dull and evasive heart to cry with feeling for mercy. Our hearts, like criminals, until they be beaten from all evasions, never cry for the mercy of the judge. Again, this bruising makes us set a high price upon Christ. Then the gospel becomes the good news indeed. Then the fig leaves of morality will do us no good. That is the understanding of the key which the Lord Christ speaks of, the high standards of God. What did the Pharisees do? They lowered the standards and believed they were meeting them. And what does the Lord Christ do? He comes back in the Sermon on the Mount and in other passages, and he clarifies, no, to be like God, to be the Imago Dei, is a remarkably high standard. And he clarifies it once again for us. The fig leaves of morality will do us no good. And it makes us more thankful and from thankfulness more fruitful in our lives. For what makes many so cold and barren, but that bruising for sin never endeared God's grace to them. They never saw their great need of the grace, and therefore never loved and treasured the grace. Listen to that again. Never saw their great need of the grace, and therefore never treasured and loved that grace, and the God of that grace. Likewise, this dealing of God establishes us the more in his ways. This is in regard to those who are converted. God still bruises us and brings affliction. Having had knocks and bruisings in our own ways, this is often the cause of relapses and apostasy because men never smarted for sin at the first. They were not long enough under the lash of the law. Hence, this challenging work of the Spirit in bringing down high thoughts is necessary before conversion. That's not just Nebuchadnezzar, that's all of us. God again and again works in our hearts that we might see ourselves as we are and cry out to him and treasure the gospel of Christ. And for the most part, the Holy Spirit, to further the work of conviction, joins with it some affliction, which when sanctified has a healing and purging power. We want in times of affliction to first ask, before asking God for any remedy for that, we want to first ask God, What is this about, and how might this be used to your glory? What is this about, and how might this be used to your glory? Help me to see what it is that you're doing in my life. How might you be glorified in this? God, I want you to keep this affliction as long as it is the profit and benefit of my soul. As long as it's the profit and benefit of my soul. Well, in the third section, back in Psalm 107, the third section begins in verse 17. Fools, because of their rebellious way and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. So we see consequences of our actions here. Their soul abhorred all kinds of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. And so we see physical infirmity as well. They drew near to the gates of death, and then they cried out to the Lord, and he saved them out of their distresses. Well, there are at least two areas of this, among others. One is the curse itself. Sickness and illness comes into the world through the curse. And so when we see sickness and illness, just like when we see weeds and other aspects of the curse, 
we are reminded that this is a result of the fall. It's a result of sin. And we can worship God through that and recognize that in the new heaven and the new earth, there will not be sickness and infirmity or weeds. So first of all, it's related to the curse. But second of all, it can be related to poor stewardship regarding nutrition and exercise and things of that nature. We see a benefit and consequence reality to that. And he's acknowledging that. But he says that there is hope in there. He says they cried out to the Lord and he saved them out of their distresses. And he blessed them. Verse 21. Verse 20. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And so we want God to do that for us as well and to cry out for one another. We want to do it in two ways. We want to ask God to bless us regarding our health and wellness. That's a perfectly legitimate prayer to pray for our physical health. But it would be wrong, and I want to emphasize that. It would be wrong if you pray for your health without immediately praying for the vitality of your soul. God, I am concerned about my health, and I'm coming to you as a great physician. But I am far more concerned about the health of my soul. The vitality of my soul, Lord Christ, attend to that. And if you have to choose between the two, then attend to my soul. The fourth section begins in verse 23. Those who go down to the sea in ships, and this is a direct teaching. Listen to this, because we're going to read it here again in a second. This is a direct teaching that every disciple in the boat in Luke chapter 8 would have already been familiar with. Sometimes when you read Luke chapter 8 and they wake him up and the winds and the waves are raving and he's not happy with them and the scriptures are clear that he's not happy with them. It's not a misunderstanding on your part. That's what the scriptures say. Oh, ye of little faith, where is your faith? Sometimes when we read there, we're like, wow, maybe he's being a little harsh on them. The winds and the waves are raging there. But the Lord Christ has already given them this passage. These are Jewish men schooled in the scriptures. And they should know this passage. That when they see winds and waves, instead of thinking of fear, to be thinking of faith in their God. Listen to this passage. It's just right out of Luke 8, or rather, Luke 8 is right out of this. Those that go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters, what are these disciples? They're fishermen. They have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders of the deep. Have they seen winds and waves before? Yes, they have. For he spoke and raised up a stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens. They went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. These are real winds and real waves. I'm not trying to minimize that. But the children of God understand that the God of the universe is the God of those winds and the God of the waves. Just as Peter walked on those, on the water, as the Lord Christ did. Their soul melted away. They reeled and staggered like a drunken man and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord. That's what the Lord Christ is saying in Luke chapter 8. You are not coming to me asking me in a demonstration of your faith, but rather a demonstration of your fear. But Christians, when they see winds and waves, remember that God is sovereign over winds and waves. And he brought them out of their distresses. Verse 29. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they were quiet. So he guided them to their desired haven. The Luke passage tells us that immediately they were at their destination. After he spoke peace to the winds and the waves. It's right out of Psalm 107. Listen to Be Still My Soul. Some of you know that hymn. We sang it recently here in worship. 
Just one line, I love this. Be still, my soul. The winds and waves still know his voice that ruled them while he dwelt below. The winds and the waves still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. The disciples should have known, and so should we in 2017, and Lord willing, in 2018, that as challenges come our way, that God himself is in the boat with us, and that he is sovereign over those things. And notice that in chapter, then that fourth section that we just referred to, that's not a result of consequences. That's simply God himself bringing challenging circumstances into your life. The first three sections, all of them could, in one fashion or another, somewhere obviously be more a result of sin or neglect or negligence. Consequences, if you will. But this fourth section is just God himself stepping into our lives. And then the fifth section, beginning in verse 33. The fifth section says, He changes rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into a thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salt waste, because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. Well, that's Sodom and Gomorrah. Thriving cities, and he just turns them into a salt waste. And we see that he can do that. But he can also do the opposite. Verse 35, he changes a wilderness into a pool of water, and a dry land into springs of water. And there he makes the hungry to dwell, so that they may establish an inhabited city, and sow fields, and plant vineyards, and gather a fruitful harvest. God is able to do that. And so we see, we can see, recognize that America, while it was not a barren wilderness, but it has prospered tremendously after the pilgrims came with the gospel of Christ and with their diligence and with their faith in God, we see farmland everywhere springing up and just, just coming rich, rich, rich in how much it produced. God is able to do that. And we give him thanks for what he's done here in the history of America and what he's done in the history of his church as people cry out to him in faith. And we want to ask God to do that now in regard to both of those things, both in regard to a blessing upon our nation to return to the Lord and a blessing upon his kingdom within that nation, that his kingdom might rightly set forth the gospel by our lives and by our lips. And now to conclude this, look at this last verse, 43. Look at Psalm 107, verse 43. Who is wise? What a remarkable thing. It means he's about to tell you who's wise. And he says, you'll be wise if you understand and know and remember and put into effect and stand upon Psalm 107. That's what he's saying. He's saying, go back and reflect these five sections. Learn the five sections. Understand them. Study them. Verse 43, who is wise? Let him give heed to these things. Let him observe. Let him, let him respond. And consider the loving kindness of the Lord. Let him observe. Let him understand. Let him remember. What is it that Moses is saying in Deuteronomy 8 to this next generation? He's saying observe. Understand. Remember who God is. You're getting ready to go in and there's going to be all kinds of distractions. You've been out here in the wilderness. And so worship services have not been very distracting. But you're getting ready to go in there and plant vineyards and build houses. And worship is going to become less and less important to you. And he says, observe, understand, remember these things. Look at your Proverbs, excuse me, in your bulletin again under the heading for the preaching today, right under Thanksgiving for Abundance and Affliction. I put Proverbs 30 verses 8 and 9. 
Keep deception and lies far from me. That would include the world and anything that the devil does, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you. That's what Moses is saying in Deuteronomy 8. That I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. But to draw near to God and to plead with Him to do a great work in us of thanksgiving, of joy and gladness. I want to read one last passage and I will be done. It's Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. We'll just read it and I'll be done. What a great passage for Thanksgiving. Luke 17, beginning in verse 11. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten leprous men. That's you. That's us. As he entered into a village, ten leprous men. What is leprosy? It's a death sentence. It's a social outcast death sentence. The only people who will even talk to your other lepers. As he entered into a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him because they could not come near him. It would have been a violation of the law. And they raised their voices because they're standing off at a distance. Saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. The woman with the bleeding fought her way through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. These men are standing off in a distance, crying out. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Brothers and sisters, listen carefully. When you're at Thanksgiving and somebody says to you, let's count our blessings. Does that strike you as duty or delight? No one ever thinks at Thanksgiving, well, you shouldn't count your blessings. It's the right thing to do. No one's really surprised if somebody says that. But nobody said to this man, let's count our blessings. He was so overwhelmed at going from a death sentence to full and vibrant health and being restored. We were social outcasts to the holy God, having no fellowship with him. How do we come into the world? All mankind by their fall lost communion with God. We had no fellowship with God. That's how we entered into the world. Aliens estranged from him. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ, he heals us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness and adopts us into his family. And we now have conversation with the Most High God. Verse 17. 
Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Do you understand what he's saying there? The other nine are the visible church. By the way it's describing this, it's saying the other nine were Jewish. This one is an outcast. He doesn't have the background. But the visible church has rejected him. But this man, from his heart, is a prostrate before him, delighting. Listen to it again. Verse 15. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back. Don't you think he said something to the others? Don't you think he said something to the others? I'm, I'm going to go back and thank him. Look, we're, we're healed. And the other nine go right on. He saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And God notices thanksgiving. We notice it when we do something for somebody. God notices thanksgiving. Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. What does 1 Thessalonians 5.18 say? It says, In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. As you reflect upon 2017, I want to encourage you to go back and reflect upon the afflictions and the challenges that you had as well. And thank the Almighty for whatever he's doing in your life. That he might have glory in your life. And that that would be the hallmark of us individually and collectively at River City in 2018, God willing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Will you pray with me please? God, we do praise you and thank you for this opportunity. We ask, God, that you would bless us with ears to hear. God, that you would well up in us spirit-born thanksgiving. That we would know the difference between duty and delight. That as we reflect upon our status as social outcasts in the kingdom of heaven, estranged and enemies of you, the one true living God. But in Christ, you have gone and sought us. You have chosen us. You have melted our hearts from stone to flesh and drawn us to yourself, washing us in the blood of Christ and clothing us with the robes of Christ's righteousness by faith and calling us your sons and daughters. Ambassadors of Christ, children of the Most High God, children of light. God bless us that we would study Psalm 107, that we would be wise in observing, in understanding, in remembering these things and acting upon them. May it be so that in 2018, Lord willing, that in every situation we would give thanks 
and that in really challenging situations, instead of demonstrating our fear, we might exercise our faith. Knowing that he that watches over Israel slumbers not, nor sleeps. Knowing that you have plans for us for good and not for evil, to give us a hope and a future as the children of Israel about to enter into the promised land, or Joseph about to come out from prison to become king of all Egypt. And knowing that you cause all things to work together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, may we treasure the high, holy privilege of calling you Father. In Christ's name, amen. Will you stand and receive the blessing of God for the people of God? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Give you peace. Now and forever. Amen. been listening to Head, Heart, and Hands with Bob Carter. This Bible teaching has been sponsored by River City Reformed Church in Wilmington, North Carolina. Our website is rivercityreform.org. River City Reformed Church meets on Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Temple Baptist Activity Center located on the corner of 17th Street Extension and George Anderson Drive. Please visit RiverCityReform.org for more information or call us at 910-520-0272. That's 910-520-0272. At River City Reform Church, we are all about loving God with our heads, hearts, and hands. We desire to know the one true God correctly. We long to love God, our Creator and Savior, passionately. 
We seek to worship and serve God willingly through the power of His Spirit. God wants us and you to ask good questions. He wants us to build our faith on credible evidence, not just a blind leap. Biblical Christianity is true. He also requires and strengthens us to conform our values and behavior to reflect His goodness and holiness. We're thinking, loving, serving. Come and see. John Piper has observed, worship is not the performance of a routine of hymns and prayers and preaching and anthems. When the angel said to John who had fallen at his feet, Don't do that to me, worship God. He did not mean recite a creed or open your hymnal or listen to a sermon. He meant connect with God. Focus on God, not the messenger. Concentrate on God, not the hymn tune. Pursue God, not just knowledge about God. And in all your focusing and concentrating and pursuing after God, seek to stir up your feelings to love Him and honor Him and admire Him and fear Him and enjoy Him and savor Him. At River City, we agree. And we are not limited by a particular style. Rather, we are compelled by a timeless thanksgiving, repentance, joy, and reverence. Our Sunday morning worship is in Wilmington, North Carolina. Please visit rivercityreform.org for more information. On Sunday evenings, we meet for Bible study led by our pastor, Bob Carter. This study meets at 5 p.m. All are invited. Come and see. Come and see.